Welcome to episode 130 of the Actual Astronomy Podcast. I'm Chris, and rising from the ashes and joining me like a phoenix is Shane. We are amateur astronomers who love looking up at the night sky, and this podcast is for anyone else who likes going out under the stars. How was your How was your week, Shane? You've been really busy, I know, so I'm just giving you a bit of a ribbon here. Yeah, um, it was like I was on vacation, which was nice. But yeah. um, so, you know, I don't think I've mentioned it on the podcast. I sold my observatory. I, mm. you know, I used to have that sky shed pod in the backyard. Yep. Um, the issue with it, I haven't used it for like two years. So um, I sold it. And uh, the reason, you know, like I, I think observatories probably, they, they, they're definitely nice to have, but more so, I think if you're an imager, or you just use a go-to mount. And if you're an imager, you're using some sort of tracking mount. And the reason why that's important is like, you know, you align your mount, you leave it in the dome or the observatory, and then that saves you from having to align it and balance it and do all that stuff every single time. Yeah. Well, you know, as you know, you know, Chris, and I think all of our listeners know, that's not me. You know, I'm not much of an imager. I don't really do that. Um, I don't use go-to mounts anymore. Um, it's all manual. So there was really little benefit of, you know, leaving a telescope out there because what I'm using in the back, Oh, you know, one other reason to have an observatory is if you have a huge telescope and the stuff that I'm using in my backyard just is, you know, small, like I, I can go out the door in one trip with everything I need. And then not having my telescope locked in the observatory means I can easily move it around the yard, which allows me to see around houses and around the trees to look at all, basically any object that I want. So anyway, observatory is gone. We have this kind of blank area in the backyard now, because that thing took up a, about a 10 by 10 foot uh, spot. Yep. So, um, there's a bit of a grade, you know, for water to, to, uh, uh, kind of, sh- you know, shed or, or go into the drainage. Um, so what I've done is I, I was this week, I was building a patio, um, like a 10 by 10 patio and leveling it and doing all sorts of work. So a lot of shoveling, a lot of, you know, cutting wood and all sorts of stuff. So, so anyway, not a lot of observing, but, uh, sort of loosely connected to astronomy because there once was an observatory there. <laughs> yeah. Did, didn't you used to get lots of funny questions from your, from your neighbors and that sort of thing? Everybody. Yeah. 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 You know, what, what is this? Is that a shed? You know, <laughs> yeah. what is that? And, and it's funny because everybody kind of recognized the shape as like a astronomical observatory. But I don't think any of them believed that that would exist, you know, that a, you know, a Joe Blow neighbor (laughs) would have something like that. So, um, you know, I would, you know, tell them, yeah, it's, you know, it's a astronomy observatory. I I have a telescope in there and, uh, you know, it would lead to other conversation usually, but it, it certainly drew attention. Yeah. Yeah. You you should have put put like a sign up after you removed it that said something like, you know, for the safety concerns of my neighbors, I have removed it from my backyard (laughs) (laughs) just like to be like, wait, what was that? (laughs) Yeah. 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 But now like kind of the conundrum here and uh, you know, I'm really going off base from an astronomy podcast, but you know, we have a deck that is, I don't know, probably 250 square feet. We have a patio that's almost the same size. And now we're adding another patio. It's like, I don't know how we can use all of this space, but I guess, uh, I guess we're going to try. <laughs> yeah. There you go. Yep. Yeah. It's better than grass. Let me tell you, grass does not, grass does not grow well here. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It can be challenging without a lot of water and fertilizer. Yeah. Do you get any observing in? 
No, just naked eye stuff. Um, yeah. I was hoping to do some solar observing while I was working on this patio, but because of all the like, you know, sawdust and dirt in the, like kind of dirt dust in the air, I didn't want any optics out. Uh, yeah. So no, very little. Um, how about you? Well, no, I mean, there was, uh, there was a couple nights that were supposed to be clear and it, and it rained like even last yeah, night yeah. it rained and the night before it rained. I mean, very sort of very strange, like not really forecast to rain. Just, I mean, often we'll get like, we're going to have some clear skies with cloudy periods and like 20, 30% chance of rain. And typically if that's the forecast here, you're not going to see any rain. Like if you see any, it's going to be drip, drop, drip, drop. And then, you know, you, you wouldn't even you know, have to put a cover over your telescope. It wouldn't be a concern. Um, you can literally observe between the drops, but, uh, but not this time. I mean, we've, we've kind of been getting um, pretty good soaking rains at night. Um, the mosquitoes love it for those that are mm-hmm. concerned about the mosquito populations. Um, yeah. They're, they're, they're loving it, um, which is, which is really uh, not so great. So it's yeah. also been really bright. Like Super one, bright. Night, <laughs> one night it was, it was going to be clear. So I went out at 10:30 and uh I mean it was still bright like it was so bright like we went to bed closed the blinds we had like black oak blinds and then like it was like bright around the blinds like that's how bright it is you're not seeing any deep sky objects in an, in an appreciable way unless you stay up till the absolute middle of the night and and even then now it's uh, it's just not even that dark no. at all whatsoever and then in the morning I get up I thought oh, I'll get up a quarter to 4 cuz I'll set up really quick and take a look at Jupiter. And it was like the sun was basically coming up, like, like not even a word of a joke or anything here. It was that bright at, at 4am that, uh, yeah, you were just losing Jupiter at that point. And, uh, there was no point. There was just no point in setting up and the bugs were horrible and it was dewy as heck, which mm-hmm. we usually don't get here. I don't even have dew shield anymore, but yeah. yeah anyway, yeah. the moon's been bright. We're full moon here, uh, just passed and, yeah, that's uh, that's the story. But uh, do you have much in the way of bugs up your way? Yeah, it's it's pretty bad. Like our backyard, we have crushed rock for the most part, and then Jessica has like three raised gardens. But um, the crushed rock helps keep the mosquitoes down, which is nice for astronomy. But you know, I'm surrounded by neighbors with a lot of grass, so yeah. Um, yeah, there's, there's enough out there and, and, you know, I, the population of mosquitoes this year is above, way above average, um, compared to what we've had the last, I don't know, quite a few years. So I don't think you can get away from them no matter where you are. So it's kind of, you know, wear long sleeves and, and spray yourself or use some sort of mosquito repellent to, uh, to keep them away. Yeah. Like even, even walking down like the middle of my street, which I mean, there's like, I'm in a big open area. There's not even many trees. It's, it's almost like a desert, like environment, even walking down like the middle of my street, which doesn't even have, I don't think there's a single tree on my street that is taller than 15 feet. And, uh, and, and there's mosquitoes like in the middle of the street, nowhere even near any trees at all whatsoever. And it's just like, where are these even like, they're flying a long way to eat, you know? So there's Mm got to be a lot of them. There's going to yeah. be a lot of them. So, so yeah, yeah so sure. that, that could be a challenge here. And we keep, we keep getting some rains and I'm thinking these rains could be at the wrong interval. So I've learned a lot about mosquitoes since I moved here. I learned that, that if you do get rains and the rains are at the right interval, that it can impede mosquitoes. I learned that mm-hmm. here because we had one year where we had, we started getting mosquitoes and then I forget what it was every three or four days, we'd get like a rainstorm or a thunderstorm or something. 
And then um, we had no mosquitoes, even though it was really humid. Um, there was no mosquitoes because apparently the water was just getting stirred up at the wrong point in their cycle to complete their, their cycle. And then there's been other years where we've had a little bit of rain and then it's been super dry. And then, you know, it's just like, you can't go observing for the mosquitoes. You know, we had, had a night like that last year and I tried to go out. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. They, they can be a real impediment to observing, you know, there, I remember one night in grasslands, um, I was there a day or two before you guys came and I was observing and was set up, you know, it was just that sort of twilight or astronomical twilight was kicking in and I couldn't stay outside. I had to go inside my vehicle and I waited about another half an hour to 45 minutes for the temperature to drop. And then I yeah. was able to go out and observe for the rest of the night, which was quite nice. But man, there was a period where they were just so thick, like, you know, and, and I, you know, I had all of the mosquito repellent. I had the thermocell going, I had all that stuff and it just didn't make a difference. Yeah. It's, it's amazing how it can vary so much here. Like, you know, where I'm from, you just get mosquitoes and, and I would say they're moderate. They might even be about like what they are here this year, actually, like, especially where, where I would spend most of my time where my, where my folks live, because uh, we, we own part of a marsh. <laughs> so, mm -hmm. so that, that is a great breeding ground for mosquitoes. But then, um, yeah, I mean here, you know, we can have years where there's, there's no mosquitoes. I've had years where I never got bit by a mosquito. And then I've had years where, you know, I've been uh, fighting them off from almost seems like uh, the first of May until, until the first of November kind of thing. Like literally I've been bit by mosquitoes here in November. So yeah, it, it can vary uh, tremendously. And, and again, like I've gone down, I would say most years at grasslands, there's some at dusk and, uh, but not enough that I would wear a bug repellent. I just don't, I don't like it. And I don't really feel like there's that much of a need when they're not that bad. And then, uh, other, there's been two or three years where they've just been so bad down there that, uh, yeah, it's, it's terrible. So, but in general, in general, they do bother me a little bit. I think I must have like the Bordeaux of blood or something because they, they do kind of come after me more than, more than others. So, yeah. Well, that's good. Whenever we go out, uh, I want you with me so you can draw all of the mosquitoes and I can, <laughs> I can observe in comfort. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so we had a show topic idea. You sent this to me from, from Christopher. Where, where's he located at? Do you remember? I, I didn't put that in the note. Uh, geez. Um, I'm not, not to put you on the spot. That's okay. If you don't remember, I just, uh, yeah, I, I couldn't couldn't recall when I when I put this in here. But anyway, his his show topic idea was uh, uh, what is a really good observer? Do you want me to read like this this little bit, or do you yeah. want to read it? He he's from North Carolina. North you know, Carolina. Looking it up. Oh, that's yeah. right, that's right. He's the guy that lives by south of the border, or what was formerly south of the border. Yeah. Do you want me to read this, or do you want to read it? Uh, whatever. I I I can. Um, yeah. Go ahead. So he wrote, uh, Hey guys, I absolutely love the podcast and have what I think might be an interesting idea for a show topic. Um, I often hear people say so-and-so is a really good observer. I've also heard it said on the show by one or both of you gents. Uh, I'd like to know what that means to you. I'd like to know what you feel you need to do to become uh, a really good observer. I'm so curious about this topic. I'm sure it goes beyond completing all the observation checklists. Uh, what does one look for when they are observing that eventually sets them apart as a really good observer? And what are the observing techniques or routines of a really good observer? And how long does it take to become one? 
So anyway, it could be uh, interesting to poll the audience as well. Yeah. Um, so I think this is a pretty interesting question because he's right. You know, you and I have talked about this lots, yep. uh, referring to people as good observers. So, you know, what what gets you that badge? So I I, I kind of laughed when I got this, not 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 for any um, bad reasons, but I was I was teaching a class um, in astronomy and I had referred to somebody as as a really good observer. And for whatever reason, one of the students thought that, I don't know whether they thought it was just funny or just a ridiculous thing to hear somebody say, right? Mm-hmm. And because I said it like with, you know, kind of this like uh, reverence, you know, like, oh, that person's, they're a good observer. Like maybe they're referring to somebody in like a magazine, like Stephen James Amir or somebody like that. And they just thought it was funny or something just, just to hear somebody, uh, somebody say that. But uh, anyway, so, so observing Okay, I put some notes in here, observing or observational astronomy. So I kind of kind of took it like this, like I thought maybe we should define it a little bit first. So I can kind of start there if, if that works for you. Yeah, go for it. All right. So observing or observational astronomy, this is, uh, you know, what, what this is, is a focus on acquiring uh, data from observations of astronomical objects. And typically when we talk about observing, observing what we're referring to is, uh, is an activity that basically entails uh, searching uh, the sky, typically the nighttime sky, although uh, Shane does uh, solar observing. And I, I think that's, you know, a, a different, different facet. There's lots of different facets. We'll, we'll get into some of those. Um, finding objects of interest and, uh, and do, doing some researching to, to identify or to learn more about um, the object or, or subject that, that you're observing. Um, you know, and people who do this uh, are observers and really in a very general way to answer uh, Christopher's question, I think people that, that do this a lot over a prolonged period of time uh, basically are, are good observers um, as, as long as they're sort of building their skills and, and sort of moving uh, themselves ahead. I actually don't, don't necessarily think people um, need, need to necessarily be working through observing lists or, or prescribed checklists um, from external organizations. Um, but that said, typically people will, uh, will work on uh, one project or, or another, like, uh, you know, a, an example there, you know, to pick on like Bill Weir or somebody like that, who, who definitely is a good observer. Um, you know, Bill has a lot of the observing certificates, but even, you know, sort of once completing those, he's kind of gone on to observe, I think, pretty much everything that's in the double star um, atlas, the Cambridge double star atlas. He, he mentioned that in passing and uh, has the instruments to do that, that there's no certificate, award, sticker, hat, t-shirt, or anything like that for, for doing that. But, uh, but I think that's one of the things that, that makes Bill, uh, a, a good observer, you know, is that he kind of just continues to forge ahead. And it's really cool because sometimes, not sometimes, but, but even recently I, I sent him a note saying, Oh, I'm looking at this and I got the number reversed or something like that. And, and he had like, I think he had sketches of one or both the things that I was talking about at NGC number goofed up. And, uh, and that's pretty cool. Like that's like kind of, you know, you're like, wow, like some of those are hard observations with a six inch reflector. So respect. So anyway, um, what are your thoughts sort of on getting going on the sheen? Um, like what are my thoughts on what makes a good observer or, oh, okay. Um, well, first of all, like, you know, I don't think there's a set criteria out there. So you could probably ask 10 different people this question and get 10 different answers, although probably some similarity within all of it. Um, for me, when I think of, you know, who I consider to be good observers, 
uh, some things that stand out uh, or, or that maybe is common across these folks is they just have a passion to do it. You know, they, yeah. they love doing the astronomy, uh, they love observing, and they do it somewhat frequently or as frequently as their life allows, you know, like they're out there in the backyard, they're making trips to dark skies. And I'm not saying that this is like a uh, like an addiction or an all-consuming thing, but they they just they do it when they can, and and it usually is quite or somewhat frequently. Yeah. Um, you know, other stuff is is these folks also really have a desire to learn about the night sky, and as such, you you see the knowledge, right? Like uh, they know the constellations; they can point them out and just say, "There's uh, you know, there's Aries, uh, you know, there's a uh, you know." you pick, pick whatever constellation, um, you know, they'll, they know where they are and they know the location of some of the objects within these constellations. And, yep. um, you know, that always impresses me. Um, and, and you know, it, it kind of leads to the next thing is that, uh, I think a good observer can find objects and this may sound, you know, sort of like table stakes, but it's not a skill that everybody has, but they can find objects using, you know, an Atlas, a, a sky Atlas, yep. And, and, you know, what I, what I also kind of allude to there is, you know, probably not using a go-to telescope because sometimes a go-to, if that's all you use, you're probably not going to learn the night sky as well. So, you know, uh, in, in your desire to learn the night sky, you know, you do everything kind of manually and that really helps you uh, figure things out. Um, I think good observers, and this, this is kind of a double-edged sword in a way. I, you know, I, I, I think that good observers... Uh, are looking for new things or observing new objects regularly. Um, meaning, you know, this kind of goes back to the desire to learn about the night sky. You want to see different things or different classes of objects. Um, however, with that being said, you know, there's some amazing observers and what they specialize in is the moon, you know, and that's yeah. all that they'll observe and that's fine. Yeah. You know, so yeah. it kind of, more, Patrick yeah, Moore, just yeah, 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 exactly. Um, and then the last thing that I think, and, and maybe, you know, these are in no particular order, but if I was to give one, maybe the, the priority, it might be this one. And that's that a, a good observer will spend time observing an object, not just, you know, acquire the star field and go check. I, yeah. I saw NGC 4287 or, you know, whatever it is, you know, the, a good observer will, will take some time to use different observing techniques, whether it's averted vision or just, um, you know, patience at the eyepiece and observing it for, you know, 10, 20 minutes, trying to tease out different detail. Yeah. Um, maybe it's using different filters, maybe it's using different magnifications, but yeah. it's really just trying to see as much as you can about that object and really appreciate it. So, yep. um, you don't need all of these, you don't, you know, you, breadth and depth, all that stuff is very subjective, but to me, those are some of the points that stand out. Yeah. You know, and, and just kind of building on what you're saying there, like uh, sitting on the observing committee, like, like I do. And, and I think a few of our listeners do as well. Um, you know, it's one thing that we kind of like in a way struggle with, like we want to see people like move, move ahead and kind of develop those skills. Like it's always the concern that, you know, somebody will get a list and just kind of peel through it and check things off without developing the skills. And now, the, the programs at the at the RASC at the Royal Astronomical Society of Canada they're they're designed such that well maybe in like an early program you know someone's just doing um, what's called explore the universe and in, and in that program yeah like they're just identifying learning to identify the stars and constellations uh, make a few sketches from that person that that's sort of like uh, you know encouraged and maybe a bit of a bonus at that point but you know if somebody just simply 
checks all those off, well, they're still going to get the certificate. But kind of by the time they get to like the, uh, you know, like the finest NGC or or the deep sky gems or other thing like that, like, you know, kind of want to see some more detailed notes and, and uh, you know, and, and stuff like that. We don't just want to see people uh, checking things off, although, of course, people do. And then that they're kind of striving to meet like a, a little bit of a minimum requirement, right? So we kind of have had to sort of develop what those minimum requirements are in, in recent years, um, which I think is a good thing because some people... Some people are looking just to complete the certificates and then, you know, that that's that, right? Like they're not really looking to do um, too much more astronomy than that. Um, but then, you know, we are as well trying to make sure that we encourage those that, uh, that might sort of take it on a little more seriously. Yeah, yeah, no, that all makes sense. Like when I did my Messier list um, many years ago, Ooh, you know, like you, you can almost do the entire Messier list in, in one night. Uh, you know, there's these Messier marathons where you can see almost all of the objects. And that depends a bit on your latitude as well. Um, but you can almost see all of them in March. And uh, despite that, it took me, I don't know, three years, maybe. I can't remember. It was multiple years to complete my Messier list. Part of it was because I was wasn't just doing the Messier list. I was looking at lots of other things, but the other part of it was like, I would only observe two or three Messiers in a night and just really observe them and, and put some detailed observing notes together. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and I don't know why I did that. I, I think I just really enjoyed looking at this stuff and, and yeah. uh, I don't know. Uh, that's important to me. Yeah. Well, the more, the more you look, the more uh, you, you will hopefully see. So, you know, and, and oftentimes when I think about like observing and observers, I, I kind of feel like it's like a bit of a throwback term, you know, I think of, uh, you know, those 1700 to early 1900 observers like, uh, like Messier and his cohort and the Herschel's like Carolyn Herschel and William Herschel and John Herschel and, you know, sort of leading up to, to Barnard. Barnard was, was a great observer visually. And then, then was one of the pioneers of early, uh, astro imaging. Um, you know, but in many ways though, those individuals weren't, Let's say they weren't scientists. Maybe that's that's like the wrong way to put it. But they were, you know, they, they were primarily going out uh, and and perhaps bridging the gap between like that average person and uh, individuals who um, who were scientists. Like Bernard, um, you know, was both a, a student and a, an instructor of astronomy. He was an extremely good visual observer, um, but he wasn't like an astrophysicist, right? That we that we typically think of. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And that's a, I guess, kind of an important distinction as well. Yeah. Some other distinctions. So these are kind of uh, some terms that um, I didn't really sort of put together. My friend, uh, my friend Tim did back in Ontario, when we were trying to kind of sort some of this stuff out because he and I used to talk about this stuff all the time. Um, there's kind of like different sort of, I guess, like different types of people that like go out and look at the at the night sky. So I'm just going to kind of run through these really quick, maybe stop at each one and get your feedback. But so, so one of the ones, and, it, and in a way, like our podcast is for, you know, for all types. Um, and there's really, there's no real hierarchy to this. So I don't want people to, to think that, but um, sort of the first one is perhaps the most common one. And that's the stargazer. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it seems like a pretty informal term and, and that's what it is. Somebody who's just basically interested in the stars, um, probably watch like the latest NASA mission news. Uh, they might take some photos, attend some lectures, go and watch meteor showers, take a look at super moons and different moons. Um, look at some Aurora planetary conjunctions, eclipses, uh, you know, kind of the list, 
the list goes on, <clears throat> you know, they'll look at planetary pairings and, and in a way like our, our objects to observe in the nighttime sky is, uh, is really aimed um, at, at the stargazer sort of in all of us. Right. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I don't know what yeah. your thoughts are on, on that. Yeah. Um, I, I can't uh, agree more. Um, you know, I, 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 we've referenced this too, you know, like that stargazer in all of us is it's, it's almost like an instinctual thing that's in everybody. Now, the level of interest there, there's different scales or, or degrees to that. And, you know, uh, people that listen to this podcast and like you and I, um, you know, we're, we're certainly quite a few degrees more into the night sky than, than some people, but at, at our basic kind of instinctual level, I think everybody has an interest in the night sky. Yeah. Uh, another type of person who goes out on the stars, um, and again, in, in no particular order or, or with any judgment at all, um, is the astro imager. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, it, it used to be, it used to be that people who wanted to take night sky photos, you know, they really had to go out and, and learn the sky first. And then they would, they would take some images, but more and more, like, especially in the past, say, say three or four years, I've had people coming to my class and they're like, yeah, I, I want to learn the nighttime sky. I do photographs of it. Right mm-hmm. now, 10, 12 years ago, when I first started teaching the class, people would come in and they might say this and, uh, and they'd have some like great sort of, uh, planetary alignment shots, maybe like Jupiter or the moon, Saturn, like really beautiful, um, sort of camera on tripod shots. But now people are showing up and they're like, yeah, I really want to learn more about like how to find the constellations and different things. I do some astro imaging. I'm like, Oh, I'd love to see some of your photos. And they send me the photos and they're like photos that are better than the observatories were taken eight or 10 years ago. And, uh, it's like, Whoa, like, I don't know what I can teach you. Um, you know, I'm sorry, but you're like operating on a whole different level than, than I am. They're like, no, no, but I still want to, want to learn like the, the constellations and stars. I, you know, they, they've, uh, focused on learning all that it takes to take these beautiful astrophotos to, to, uh, use the computer driven software and different equipment to locate these things that, that they, they want to take images of. And then it takes so much time and effort and skill development, um, to produce, like, it's just this huge, massive time commitment, um, of learning and, and creation and processing to create these, these beautiful works that, that astro imagers create that, you know, honestly, it, it, I think it would probably just eat into that time to, to learn some of, some of these other things, you know, and it's mm-hmm. great. You know, I, I do what I can to help them out. And uh, I mean, but, but honestly, typically when I, when I get these individuals in the class, I'm like, maybe I could, would you mind talking in the class some, because you offer something that I can't. Right. I mean, they, they actually bring, they bring, I'll say this, they bring more to the class than they're probably going to get out of it because they've kind of learned a different way of, of interacting with the nighttime sky. You know, they're, they're not just taking a telescope out with a go-to and pointing at stuff and looking really quick and checking something off the list. They're, they're going out, they're learning about the object. They're, they're doing these detailed processing techniques, depending on the wavelength of light that's coming off the, I mean, just like they're really Mm -hmm. digging in, but yeah, when it comes to exactly where it is in the nighttime sky, maybe like they're going to tell you what constellation it's in, but they might not, they might not be able to know, well, maybe this is exactly where it is, or this is a constellation that doesn't have many bright things in it. So I don't know about Aries or, or different things like that, but they've, they've put their time and effort um, somewhere else and have done something 
spectacular with it. So respect there, right? Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned that. Like, you know, we do focus in uh, on visual observing on this podcast because that's what you and I do. Mm. But in no way is that a slight to the imagers out there. Uh, in fact, I have a huge amount of respect for them because like you said, it's it's not like, um, you know, you, you turn a switch on on your telescope and connect a camera and you end up with these magazine-like images. Like that takes a ton of work, a ton of knowledge, a ton of skill, uh, and a lot of time. You know, and uh, again, I do respect that. It's just, it's not uh, where my interest is. So, you know, know, I I don't talk a lot about it, but I'm glad you brought that up because it's an important aspect here. Another, another type of person who goes out on the stars, and these these are all real different. They they used to be a little bit more intermingled, but it seems like, seems like uh, over time, like, seems like with everything, and I don't know if it's a result of technology or what, but everybody becomes a little bit more siloed. Um, as they, as they say, but is the ATMs or the amateur telescope makers Mm. and these folks, you know, there's a few around here. Um, but, but people that really do this, uh, tend, tend to congregate in these little, these little groups in in different places in the world. And I was really fortunate because in, uh, in Kitchener, Waterloo, where, where I lived for a while, um, there is a small group of them there. And, that the stuff that these folks would do, I mean, honestly, it's like magic. It really seems like magic what these what these folks are able to do, and they build these telescopes um, from scratch. Sometimes manufacturing their own parts for whatever reasons. I mean, the telescopes often work beautifully, um, you know. And and they might do like I find like these these amateur telescope makers. They they tend to do all three. They'll they'll build telescopes. They'll do some observing. They'll do some stargazing. They'll do some imaging. Um, they're really, I find the ATMs are really more Jack of all trades. Like, you know, um, I remember I was observing with, uh, with a couple of friends of mine and they would set up their scopes and they would observe like some of the big brightest things through like their 16 or whatever inch telescopes, um, that they hand ground the mirrors and all that. And I would just be like glued to the eyepiece. And then they would kind of, you know, do that for an hour and then take a break. And then they'd like pull the cameras out and start shooting pictures of like, you know, like a field of fireflies with like the Milky Way and the, I mean, just really cool, sh- like camera on tripod shots and um, different things like that. And then like, if there was a planetary conjunction, they'd, they'd show up with, uh, you know, with binoculars, we just head out to a hilltop somewhere. They were always good for doing stuff like that. So, uh, so anyway, j- but just like a different type of person who, who enjoys the, the nighttime sky, um, not necessarily hundred percent committed to, to observing, but really they're committed to building these beautiful instruments. And then they've sort of partake in a, sort of a bit of a, a bit of a buffet or smorgasbord of, uh, of a variety of other um, sort of uh, astronomy pursuits under the stars. Anyway, really amazing individuals to spend time with. And I've been fortunate to, to have, have that time. Yeah, I, I think that, again, huge respect to the ATMers. Um, you know, I think Clark falls into a little bit of that category too, which we had on uh, Clark and... Um, mm. Oh, gee, why can't I think? Randall. Uh, Randall, yeah, I was wanting to say Roland, but my apologies. Um, you know, just to hear him talk about some of the telescope making that he's done was really cool. Yeah. Um, yeah, and we actually, uh, we had a chat yesterday with 116 people based on that uh, podcast. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. <laughs> yeah. I think I sent you a note on that. I'm not sure, sure if you saw it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Then, then there's the amateur astronomer. So, so we have uh, stargazers, observers, astroimagers, ATMs, amateur telescope makers. Um, but but I think when when sort of any of those groups or or groupings of individuals or you know cohorts or whatever, um, 
when they start making contributions to science, they sort of traverse a path to, to also becoming like an amateur um, astronomer. So for example, the stargazers might go out and just look at meteors. But if they start recording the, the meteors and submitting meteor observations to, I forget what the organization is called, that you submit those to, and they're making a contribution to science. And that really, you know, sort of marks them as, as an amateur astronomer. So like, while uh, amateur astronomy and amateur astronomer seems like a more general term, um, and it can be, it, it usually means uh, just doing astronomy for the love of it, like kind of real specifically, um, if, if you're doing that, and making some sort of scientific contribution or some sort of contribution to the general body of, uh, of the science of astronomy, even in some sort of tangential way. I think that, that really is what makes somebody amateur astronomers. So like, and, and this, this again, like is broad and deep, um, people might make, um, you know, observations to the, uh, association of lunar and planetary observers. I think like, like our friend Phil, uh, has made some to those folks, uh, people that make AVSO contributions, people who do historical research, like, like Randall and Clark, um, you know, the list goes on and on. People who do astro images, um, can make all kinds of different contributions in variable stars and, um, pulsing nebula research, uh, all kinds of different stuff. So, not, not sure what, what you think about that. I think, I think you and I do in a way, we, we sort of make small contributions different ways. I contribute to journals, uh, right for the handbook. We do this, this podcast is sort of a, a public outreach thing. I think in a way that that's like amateur astronomy sort of, and how we do it. Yeah, for sure. For sure. And, you know, I, I think it just goes to show that there's an, a, a number of ways to contribute, contribute to being a good observer, you know, whether it's at the eyepiece, but not all of it is at the eyepiece, you know, some of it is, um, you know, uh, using a camera or, or making the telescope or contributing uh, to astronomy, uh, like in, in really different ways, like writing or, you know, presenting or, or that type of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And like, sort of for me anyway, like kind of concluding um, my thoughts and all this, um, you know, what, what really makes a good observer, like personally, I think it's, it's just like a dedication to uh, going out and, and doing some observing um, with like a deep interest in, you know, whatever it is that that person's doing, like whether it's uh, working through observing lists in a very uh, detailed and methodical way or doing some sketching or, um, or, or just some, something else, you know, so like sort of based on the many conversations ahead, uh, with the various communities, uh, just like, you know, however people are, are diving into, um, you know, that those, those observations is, is what provides like a, like a deep sense of, of meaning, um, you know, for, for these individuals, you know? Um, but yeah, I, I think it needs to go beyond like, uh, like, like more of, a you know, superficial level or, or whatever, like not just like grabbing a checklist and then checking off boxes. I mean, that that's impressive that someone can peel through a lot of things, but I'm not sure it makes um, like, you know, meaningful observations for the individual or, or meaningful observations for, for actually submitting the observations or anything like that. Um, but at the same time, I, I think that people that maybe even have a very casual approach, but are really engaged in it, you know, um, you know, those can be, uh, you know, good observers, you know, pe people that just, just go out and do this stuff. Like, uh, I sort of conclude with, with one comment. There was, there was an individual, uh, I'm not going to like name in this person, I'm not sure how into the, into astronomy they are anymore, but I remember they, they were, they were coming out with us sometimes or coming with me anyway. And, uh, and once they, they said something like, oh, it's almost like, um, a good observer and I'm, I'm observer or something. And I'm like, 
what do you mean? Of course you are. Of course you are. And this person was, in my opinion, pretty deeply involved in, in astronomy and, and trying to make some contributions. But um, they, they did a variety of other things. And I've seen this a bit with some observers or people that I consider observers and good observers anyway, is that, you know, they might not have the access, whether it's like city skies or maybe for want of good transportation or, or other things. Um, but they might be doing like more historical research or, or doing some sort of astronomy writing and then kind of coming out when they can. And when they come out, they, they stay up all night and they do observing and, and they have a great time and they've got their own things they want to look at and projects they want to do. Um, but I consider those people to be great observers, <laughs> but, but it's funny because sometimes I think that sometimes they, they may not even see themselves as that there was one, like there's one person in particular I'm thinking of. And I was like, you're like, I think you're a pretty good observer, <laughs> like, you know, and so I don't think people should sell themselves short on it just because maybe they don't think that there's, uh, there's some sort of requirement that, that they're meeting. I think the, the requirements are, are pretty broad. I, I think it's just, uh, it's just building on, on your knowledge and, and really enjoy and love doing, doing what you're doing and kind of going out and sort of, sort of digging into it, uh, when you can, I, th- I think it's, it's very general, but in a way, I think that that is what makes a good observer, you know, people who love it and, and enjoy it and, and try to do it as, as much in, in, in the ways that they are able to. Yeah. You know, I, I think that's a perfect way to kind of wrap this one up, Chris, you know, I, I think as long as you're at the eyepiece and you're looking at things, um, and, and, you know, you're, you're out there and you're dedicated, you're a good observer. Um, you know, you're, you're seeing things and, and really that's what it's all about is just looking at different objects and, and enjoying it. And if you're doing that, um, you know, I don't know what else you can ask for. Yeah. Sounds good. Well, Shane, with that, uh, I'll thank you for joining me today and look forward to our next podcast here in five minutes. Yeah. Thanks, Chris. (laughs) All right. We'll talk to you soon. Bye. Thank you everyone for listening and we hope you enjoyed the show. If you are interested in more information, would like to contact us, or if you would like to support the podcast, check out our website, actualastronomy.com.